I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Internet Marketing. We have a feast of Google goodies for you in episode 41, and we have some juicy strategies for implementing your internet marketing in these very uncertain times, and we spill the beans on how we promoted this podcast in the early days in response to a listener's audio question, all coming up in Internet Marketing. Hello everyone, it's um, Andrew White here with our local resident expert, Mr. Daniel Rowles. Daniel, what's been happening? Um, got some interesting things from Google, quite a lot of news coming out of Google. Uh, Google Chrome, amongst other things. Yes, now I've been hearing a lot about Google Chrome. Yeah, so we have a few mentions about that and some other things that Google have done that I hadn't come across before. Um, so hopefully they'll be useful to the listeners. Um, also, just to have uh, a look at the recession or the so-called recession and what's going on in the kind of uh, markets at the moment and what you can do to maximise your budget. Because we're being asked to do lots of talks at the moment on um, what people should do to market in the recession and how that impacts on their marketing and uh, where they can maximise their spends and so on. So we'll have a little talk about that as well. Okay. Um, and I think we've got an interesting question about podcasting as well to answer in a bit. Somebody has sent an audio question in. Absolutely. So we'll go through that and, and try and give it a reasonable answer to that as well. Today. That'll be fun. I reckon, having heard the question, I reckon that'll take most of the show, Daniel. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a good topic. It's a very good topic. Let's talk about Google then. Okay. Um, I've got a load of links and interesting things that Google have been up to. First of all, Google Chrome. Google have come out of their new browser. Um, very clever stuff going on in the back end in terms of the software engineering. That's the key focus of it. It doesn't swallow up resources. Um, it's actually quite a nice browser to use as a few good features. But one of the key things people keep saying to me is, well, it's yet another browser to check against. Have mm-hmm. I now got to check against yet another browser? Um, and, you know, have I got a cross-test and browser compatibility test and test my style sheets and things like that? Well, actually, no. Uh, you don't. Because Google uses the same rendering engine, so the same software to actually show the pages as Safari does ah, already. Okay. Which basically means if your website works in Safari... Um, it's going to work on exactly the same in Chrome. Um, okay. And I haven't seen any real differences between the two at the moment. I'm sure there probably are some. But at the moment, anything that seems to work in Safari seems to work in Chrome. And in my opinion, Safari is quite a nice rendering engine. The rendering mm. engine that it uses anyway, the WebKit uh, rendering engine. Yeah. So not as much of a problem as people are probably thinking. Definitely worth still testing in Chrome. You shouldn't ignore it. But it's such a small user base at the moment. Lots of people have tried it. 
but they're not actually using it on a day-to-day basis. Mm. Mm. So we'll, no doubt we'll see those numbers climb up, um, and we'll report as we're going on the next few episodes about the percentage of people that are actually using Chrome. Um, but at the moment, small percentage, I believe it's, it's in beta. Yes, uh, it's... Um, I listen to a very good um, podcast called Security Now mm. with Leo Laporte and Steve Gibson. And I don't want to diss Chrome, but Steve does have some concerns from a security point of view on Chrome. Absolutely. And he also raised a very interesting point, actually. He said he was puzzled by the business model because he wasn't quite sure who it was aimed at. There's a lot of talk at the moment that it's, it's really Google's attempt to make a sort of web app platform so less than a browser, it's more of something to run the Google web apps in, which is an interesting point of view. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of people have been saying, why are Google doing this? What's the business incentive for them to actually do this? Because not actually making any money directly from it. Mm. Um, and there's nothing essentially that you couldn't do in another browser at the end of the day. But like any business, the more control they've got over what they're doing and where things are being displayed, the better for them. So mm. I think there is an engineering side to this that the engineers actually wanted to face the challenge of the problems that other browsers are facing. So um, we'll keep a close eye on it and, and see mm. how things progress. Okay. A couple of other very interesting things that have been going on. When I run lots of SEO courses, lots of search optimization courses, we do them all over the place for lots of different organizations. And we always say, don't do black hat, don't do anything that tries to fiddle Google, because once you're blacklisted, that's it, you have had it. Google might take you off the listings altogether, you might have some sort of kind of negative impact where you sit a lot further down the rankings, and we always said, there's nothing you can do about that at all. Well, I've come across something that is called a reconsideration request. Now, what you can do is actually submit your website Hmm. to ask for Google to look at it again. Now... Where this is useful, this isn't actually for people that have done dodgy things, really, because Mm -hmm. Google probably is going to ignore your reconsideration request. This is for somebody that may have bought a domain or a website from somebody else, or they've done something by accident, or Mm -hmm. they've completely changed what they're doing. And you can actually submit the website, and Google, over a period of weeks, I don't know how many weeks that would actually be. They're going to get flooded. Quite possibly. Now, what they ask to see is that you you tick some boxes, and you say, this is my website, I own it. And uh, I have followed Google's best practice and good, good kind of good policy quality guidelines mm-hmm. to try and build a website that follows these rules, and then you submit it. But you also need to put some supporting evidence. What you're doing now, evidence of good faith is how they show it. So mm-hmm. what you're doing, what you're putting on the website, how you're showing best practice, what you're not doing, and why it happened before, and they're going to reconsider them. Mm-hmm. The one thing I'd say with this is that it obviously has to be done manually by them. Um, they have to look at the ins and outs and the pros and cons of each of these websites individually. So I cannot imagine if you su- submit a website, how long that's going to take. Mm. I imagine it's going to take an awful lot of time to actually look at those, and a lot of them will just get ignored. Mm. I imagine there'll probably be some sort of automatic checking by Google, and then once that, there'll be some manual intervention. Yeah. So if uh, my main advice on this one would be, if you buy a domain or you have a domain you think somebody else has done something bad then you could potentially use this. If you've been doing Black Hat, forget it. This is just not going to happen at the end of the day and you shouldn't be doing it in the first place. So, Dear Google, I'm very sorry that I made lots of white keywords against the white background. Yeah, exactly that kind of thing. So um, if you want to have a look at that, it's google.com webmasters, sorry, forward slash webmasters, forward slash tools, and then forward slash reconsideration. So it's wow. under Webmaster Tools, forward slash reconsideration. Have a little look in there. It's got the guidelines in there. What they refer you to from there is the Google quality guidelines. And this is something we should all be looking at in terms of our websites and following best practice. It tells you the things you shouldn't be doing, and it tells you some things they'd like you to do and how you should be doing them. Mm. I've got the URL here for the, uh, the question 
that's in the webmaster section but it is such a long URL with lots of fiddly characters in it that we'll post it up on the uh, actual podcast page as well okay, okay. so yep. if you go to ai-digital.com forward slash podcast you'll find it there and it'll go through to the right page for you okay, okay brilliant so have a look at those but really important stuff quality guidelines need to be followed by everyone um, two other quick things on Google came across something called Google Ad Manager now Google Ad Manager allows you to manage online advertising and not necessarily online advertising done through Google it allows you to manage the areas on your page um, see how many page views you've got and then see if you can sell that advertising space um, through your own system so you might have a banner on your front page and you want to monitor how many page impressions or how many impressions that banner actually gets um, and you need some sort of management tool for doing that for selling them and so on and so forth but if you go to google.com forward slash ad manager there's a brilliant free tool for doing that Hmm. And you don't have to put Google Ads on your website. It's not actually to do with putting Google Ads on your website. It's managing your overall inventory of advertising space on your website. Hang on, let me get this right. Is this like a banner ad server? Completely. Completely. And it gives you code for different areas on your page that allows you to track what's going on with the banner ads on your page. And can they be... Can they? I'm going biblical. Can they be? Can they be anybody's? Be any ads? Yeah. I mean, literally, you can split your page up into different segments. You drop an ad in, so that ad is just an image or um, a flash file, whatever Mm. it may be, and then you can track how many people see that advert, how many people click on it, and also you can actually track your inventory, how many you can sell, and so on and so forth. So it does some quite clever things. There's a really good guided tool, Google.com/forward/slash/ad/manager. Have a look. Really useful free tool for people that are doing advertising on their website. Can we have just a, for two minutes? Mm. I, I, I value your opinion on yep. Google because um, a couple of weeks ago I was at a, a networking event because, uh, as you know, I'm a, I do enjoy my networking. Mm. And I was just sort of chit-chatting to a group of people. And I saw this, this one lady, and as soon as I mentioned a number of Google apps, she, she literally held the cross up to me and you know, did, did, did a bit of this. <laughs> and it's, oh, my God, you know, Google... They're, they're bad news, don't use their, because they're going to take over the world. I mean, what's your, what's your take on this? Um, people used Google originally because it did something that was useful and simple. So you put a search term in, you got decent results back, you kept using Google. It was clever, and the engineering is what's made it successful. Mm. They've started to do more and more and more. So it's moved them away from what people firstly um, and foremost consider them, which is purely a search engine. And there's online applications. And we talk about things every single episode about new things that Google are doing. Yeah. Um, they started off with this uh, don't be evil kind of strap line to the business, basically saying they should do good things. Mm. But essentially, they are a business. They are there to make money for their shareholders at the end of the day. Now, the way they go about doing that is very positive in my opinion. They do lots of clever things. They give um, time for their employees to look at new projects. They, they cause a lot of innovation. Mm. Um, they have good employee benefits. They have a summer code thing, don't they? Yeah, they, they, they do so many you know, very positive things. Mm. I think the reality is that lots of people are used to the open source movement. Mm. And you know, lots of things in the open source are happening for free. Now, this isn't happening for free. But it has lots of input into open source and into engineering generally and so on and so forth. They do store people's data. Um, There are some privacy issues that people worry about. In my opinion, they're worrying a little bit too much because they're not tracking them back to individuals, particularly they're looking at general trends Mm. more than anything else, so they can try and adapt um, the behaviour of the product. But the bottom line is, if you don't want to use Google, don't use them. Mm. There's plenty of other search engines out, and there's some pretty effective ones as well Mm. now. So I think that... They are being seen as more of a business now, which is what they are and always have been. The Mm. nature of the organisation has changed because it has grown so quickly. 
But the bottom line is, it is a business. It has a very positive impact in most things. There are some areas where some people are concerned over privacy and um, those kind of issues. Mm. But essentially, if a company is successful, you're going to have some. You are going to have some problems like this. I don't tend to worry about them too much. I think some people do get upset by it, but they're free to use other products. Well, you mentioned that these weren't free, Daniel. I thought they were, like Google Calendar and Gmail and things like no, that. No, I mean, I think that the, the majority of things they're doing are free, but it's aimed towards selling advertising at the end of the day. Yes. I mean, it's, it's a profit-motive business at the end mm. of the day. It wants to sell its advertising. You get Google Analytics for free mm. because they want the advertising to work so you spend more money on it in the future. They do Gmail so they can put advertising around the mail, track what's going on, mm. and sell more advertising. And essentially, you know, everything they're doing, at one way or another in the long term, is coming down to a profit motive, which is what a business should do because it has its shareholders to look after. Yeah. And that I don't see as a particularly negative thing. I think that you know, uh, at the end of the day, they're, they're paying their taxes and they're doing all the normal things that, 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 kind of, um, that people do. So you know, as long as we live in a, a, a capitalist society, which we do, and that's how commerce works, I mm. think all this worry about them being a big business is a bit, a bit misplaced, in my opinion. Okay, moving on then. <laughs> What's next? Any more news, or should we move yeah, on to our main... Two very small things. Well, well, the one we'll look at now is there's just something to have a look at. If you are a more technical person, we've just been talking about all the applications and bits and pieces you can do with Google, have a look at code.google.com. You will see all the APIs, all the uh, projects, all the different bits of code you can interact with um, within Google. So if you want to develop applications and interact with the applications and that kind of thing. So code.google.com. But something that might be useful to the less techie of us that could do HTML but maybe aren't big coders. If you go to code.google.com forward slash API, so A-P-I-S, forward slash chart, and there's a charting tool you can use in Google. And what this allows you to do is uh, put in a URL, Mm. and that URL will draw a chart on the screen with your data in it. So you can draw a bar chart or a line graph or all those different types of charts just by passing through some URL variables through to Google. So you can dynamically populate charts and graphs in a very, very easy way using URL variables. Hang on, I'm I'm trying to understand this... Mm. What sort of data would it be, Dan? Any data? Yeah. So, I mean, what you could put through, for an example, um, you might have the type and the URL variable. Literally, you put a question mark and then you put yeah. a, a kind of set of a name and a, and a, a, a kind of okay. value like for that. Okay, like named parameters. Yeah, like, exactly. like foo equals one, bar equals two. Exactly. That sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. So, you might have the type of graph equals bar. Mm. It's a bar graph. And then you might x equals 10 and y equals... And you just pass through some numbers and it mm. explains how you actually lay this out. Yeah. And it, you send it through to Google and you get a chart up on the page. Now, there's some clever applications and bits and pieces that you could potentially do with that quite easily. So have a look at code.google.com forward slash APIs forward slash chart and uh, it, you'll, you'll see all the instructions and things you can actually do in there. And I just thought it was quite a useful little thing. You mm-hmm. could add some, some content to your website. So for those geeks out there, a bit like me, that like inventing and building your own custom systems that might want to talk to various Google um, apps out there absolutely certainly worth having a look isn't it yeah and particularly for mashups where you're kind of combining data from somewhere and you want to represent it in a different way this mm. could actually allow you to chart data and represent yeah. it on the screen quite easily without having to do too much back end programming fantastic so moving on yeah let's I mean, what, what I'd like to move on to is that um, okay if you're listening to this out of sync this won't make any sense but in the last week uh, in the UK we have seen an awful lot of chaos in the financial markets oh yes uh, we've seen banks going out of business insurance companies going out of business there's been loads of stuff going on in the US we've lost the Halifax uh, yeah well there's all sorts of things so, we've I mean, lost that singing bloke 
Which is a terrible shame. It is, that blurry glasses. <laughs> exactly. So I think, um, you know, everyone's talking about recession and how that impacts on businesses. We're doing a lot of talks, uh, for example, doing one on Thursday for the Chartered Institute of Marketing on marketing in a recession. Mm. And I just wanted to kind of talk about this a little bit because it affects us all the time. It shouldn't just be thought of what you do in a recession. It should be thought of how you get best value yeah. out of what you're doing. And some of the topics that come up, should I use a freelancer, should I use an agency? What should I be getting from my agency if I'm kind of outsourcing stuff? What should I look for in SEO, pay-per-click, uh, digital marketing services from anyone, basically, to make sure I'm getting the best value for money? Um, and these are things you can actually apply yourself as well if you're mm. doing this work yourself. So I just wanted to talk through a, f- a few of those and the pros and cons of doing things each way. There's always the argument of a freelancer versus an agency. Mm. Um, a freelancer will always generally be cheaper than an agency, but freelancers can disappear. And you haven't got account managers and project managers and all the different support services. Now, if you get a decent freelancer that you have a long-term relationship with, working with a freelancer can work fantastically well. Now, I should say we're, we're probably, or I am probably slightly biased in this argument because I run an agency at the end of the day. Mm. But I've worked as a freelancer in the past and lots of people that still do it. And it, it can work well. Um, key thing if you're going to work with a freelancer is... Get examples of their work up front, so really know what you're getting into in the first place. Mm. Make sure you have got some sort of terms and conditions in place. How fast are they going to turn around work? When are they going to be available on the phone and by email? Um, do they work through the night so you can never get hold of them during the day? Do they go off snowboarding uh, two weeks out of the month? There's all kinds of mm. daft things that can kind of happen with, with a freelancer. So what level of support can you get? But that's not to say that it can't work fantastically well. Um, know some really big businesses that have a single freelancer that's a lot of their web work and it works really really well for them so balance up the pros and cons of that the advantages of an agency is as you say you've got all those support services that go with it you'll have someone on the phone business hours mm. um, you'll have service level agreements you'll have project management and those kind of things the downside is it's a lot more expensive generally yeah. um, and you're kind of paying with, for what you get for in terms of support services so have a think about that kind of situation quite often what will work well is that you use a freelancer for some things so for some graphic design, for example, that does your kind of branding work and then use an agency for more of the technical stuff that needs to be developed on a more project managed kind of basis. So first of all, have a little step back and think about that. If you are looking at getting freelancers, um, a website I would uh, recommend um, is guru.com. So G-U-R-U.com. Go on there. They've got freelancers all around the world. Loads of examples of their work, what type of work they do, what they charge per hour um, and so on. So you can kind of see who's out there and you can get people working obviously in India and Brazil and all those kind of outsourcing kind of locations how do you spell that Daniel? Uh, guru.com g-u-r-u.com okay, okay. guru.com yeah right. absolutely and, and it will literally uh, you can outsource to a freelancer somewhere else so there's a cost saving quite often in that sort of. so have a, little, have a look in there what's going on if you are going to work with a partner to do a lot of your digital marketing work a couple of things you need to be particularly careful of first of all uh, SEO. SEO is the classic one where people come up against problems. There are an awful lot of people that are using smoke and mirrors to kind of hide the whole SEO topic. And what we try to do in this podcast is be very honest about how you do it, how you go about it. Mm. Key couple of things. If you're paying for monthly SEO, find out what you are getting for that. It sounds what, ridiculous. Yeah, what they're doing each month. Yeah. yeah. Because um, they'll say, oh, we're doing five hours of SEO and it's £100 an hour, that's £500, please. Great, but you don't actually understand what's going on completely. So what on-page optimization are they doing or recommending? So what are they changing on the page? What are the words that mm. change? How are they going about restructuring your pages? And then if they're link building, what are they actually doing? And what's that achieving for mm. you? you want- Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You want to see the quality and the quantity of links to your website going up. You want to see uh, what links they've got, a number of links. You want to see what they've done to actually achieve those links, who they're speaking to, how many emails they've sent out. Mm. A lot of um, bad agencies that will do link building will literally just send out huge amounts of email to other websites requesting links, and then they just follow them up when they get a response. Now, it needs to be a lot more creatively and proactively managed than that. You need to be talking to specific people, link baiting, all the things we've talked about, creating content to get people linking. So really get a breakdown of what's going on with your SEO. Don't let somebody pull the wool over your eyes with that. Then that kind of brings you on to the pay-per-click as well, pay-per-click management. We see an awful lot of people are having their accounts managed um, by somebody for pay-per-click. Mm. But what actually ends up happening is that they set it up from the first place, they put some work into it, and then they just let it run. And they don't actually do anything on a month-to-month basis. Now, the problem with that is that you'll, you'll see dwindling returns on mm. a pay-per-click account that nobody's actually doing anything to. Um, for example, are you running on the content network on Google or not? Maybe a good thing, maybe a bad thing. So you need to look at the results from your content network and your search network differently. Okay? Just remind us, Dan, the mm. content network, what is that again? The search network is the, is the search engines where your paid adverts show. Yes. Um, so Google and the various other And the content engines. is like AdSense. Yeah, it's yes. where other people with their own websites are publishing Google ads on their sites. Yes, so, I remember now, yes. Yeah, and you tend to get lower click-through rates on those websites, mm. but the cost per click is lower as well. Mm. So it can work really well. Now, it might be that using the content network but they're not selecting the right websites for you to show because you can actually now select independent websites one at a time that you want your ads to show in Mm -hmm. so you need to really closely manage your pay-per-click as it's become more competitive you need to manage an awful lot more so really have a look at how it's being managed what work is being done and actually understand what's being you know how your account's being managed look at the analytics on your website and actually do some analysis now having analytics is one thing Analyzing the analytics is a different thing. You need to really paint a picture of what's going on Mm. with your clients from SEO, from pay-per-click, from all those different places and make sure you're getting the most from your SEO and your pay-per-click budget. Okay, So use analytics as a tool Mm. to maximize what you're getting from all those other channels. Dan, do you think it might be worth one day doing a show on um, the best way to use Google Analytics? Yeah, I think definitely. I think that's probably what we'll do in the next next podcast because Mm. 
and Google Analytics is getting better all the time. Mm. Um, I speak to more and more big companies that are now finding it a perfectly acceptable tool to use. And there's some really key things you can put out. We've done some basics on it before, but I think that really painting a picture and understanding your customer a bit more can come out of that. And the new features are worth looking at. So the next podcast, we'll have a look at analytics and how that connects up to all the different things that you're doing. So um, you're looking at, say, you're looking at paperclip, you're looking at the analytics and what you're getting from them. Email is really important when people are worrying about the money they're spending. Mm. Because you need to be, no matter what type of business you're in, you need to be in constant contact with your customers as much as possible. Um, so they understand what's going on and you're at the forefront of their mind if they want something else. And also they know what value for money they're getting. So use email um, to stay close to your customers. Really make sure that you're having touch points with your customers where you potentially can. Um, lots of different tools you could use that. We always recommend Pure because we use Pure. So pure360.com, yep. 360 mm-hmm. the numbers. Uh, really good online tool for doing that. But just stay in contact with your customers. So my key message on this is really it's very easy to get lost in doing the big clever things but again we always want to get back to basics um, try and think about your SEO your pay-per-click your email how they're working look at the analytics compare what's going on and then that kind of brings us on to this final question we've got because a really good tool in this kind of market is podcasting in my opinion the fact that people listening to this now mm. is a demonstration that people need to educate themselves so they're getting the most from whatever they're doing whatever kind of line of business they're in people need to keep themselves up to date and podcasting is a very cheap or free way of people doing that generally. So hence why I think this podcast works because people listen to it, they learn something mm-hmm. or they can contribute and, it, and it's, it's useful and it's free to them. And that's a really good thing to do because more people are trying to do that all the time, I think, particularly as the market gets harder and we're competing harder for the same business and so on. So what we want to talk about now, we've got a question from Darren Fell. Um, we have. And uh, we'll, we'll play that for you now and then uh, we'll come back on the other side and answer that question. Let's have a listen. Daniel, yeah, I've been listening to internet marketing, I think since it started, listening uh, on my way to work and back again. I've learned so much uh, from uh, the internet marketing podcast. There's been so many things uh, recently. We've uh, introduced pretty much everything you suggested, niche bottom word tracker. So I think it's fantastic. Um, So I think the question I've got is, is, is coming back to basics, coming back to what I think is an absolutely fantastic channel and that's podcasting itself and I was very very interested to hear about how you got internet marketing to be so successful as it is today so the projects that, I, that I'm talking about is Freelance Advisor, uh, www.freelanceadvisor, that's or.co.uk. And I started it back in February 08, so that's uh, uh, the February this year. Um, and um, we've built up on FeedBurner to a subscriber base of around about 70 subscribers, but I'm not completely sure it's representative of the success uh, or the listenership of the of the podcast uh, and you look at the download range and some of them are sitting over 200 some of the more successful ones are uh, 370 to 400 like the the really successful five things you always want to ask your accountant um, so I understand your subscriber base is literally in the thousands. You're in the top 20 in the uh, marketing and management category under business. And I'm really, really interested to understand how you got there. You know, at at the six month point, what was your subscriber base on FeedBurner? You know, what sort of scalings did it jump up over the years you've been doing it? And any tips you can provide to uh, freelanceadvisor.co.uk to actually build up a listenership to, to get to as successful as you guys on internet marketing? 
I think I'll start this one off and then I'll, I'll let Andy answer a bit as well because mm. I think that um, Andy was very much part of how we, we got this podcast to be quite successful. Um, as Darren says, we have thousands of subscribers and we have um, some months about 10,000 downloads, I think, of the actual... It's actually, um, when I last looked, which was about a week and a bit ago, I think we'd just hit 1,600 subscribers. Okay. And each show was typically being downloaded, I think it was... Six about six thousand sure. was the top one. Six six thousand okay. times typically per show in its lifetime. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it, it's a it's a fair size audience for for something that we when we started off we weren't sure how effective it was going to actually be yeah. to, to draw an audience. Mm. Um, and it does drive business directly through our websites and and so on now. Now, my my opinion of why it does quite well, and this is taken from people emailing in and phoning and so on and so mm. forth, is that one we try and give practical information. Yeah. So it's not a sales pitch. It doesn't ramble on about the company too much. Mm-hmm. Um, although we do say who we are and what we do, it's the right kind of length in that it's kind of fifteen twenty minutes to about half an hour generally, yeah. so that people can listen to it when they're commuting, when they're walking about, and and so on. And it's got a quite a key uh, focused audience in mind, i.e., small mm-hmm. business owners, marketing managers of businesses. Mm-hmm so that they can educate themselves or learn something or contribute to the whole conversation about digital marketing when they're traveling, when they're sitting in front of the computer or uh, when they're commuting, basically, mm. was the whole objective. Now, we launched it up quite early. Um, there weren't that many competitors. There weren't, the and I think this is, the, this is one of the big things. Mm. I mean, to be absolutely honest with you, I'm trying to remember what year, was it 2006? Mm, we launched this, 2006. In 2006, if you went into iTunes, there weren't that many podcasts I mean there were several hundred but it's not like now where there are thousands and thousands and thousands so in those days in my opinion it was easier to get recognised if you had a podcast yeah definitely and one of the things that helped us start off is that we got featured in iTunes we did get featured reasonably early I think didn't we yeah Yeah. so we which basically meant that we got onto one of the front pages in in Google when you talk about business podcast but since then we've stayed pretty much um, in the top five of management and marketing podcasts yeah and we're actually in the top 20 of business podcasts on and off now as well yeah we do we we pop in and out of the top 20 under the business which is called a bigger category yeah but in um, in uh, marketing and management we have often stayed in that one yeah and I think the key thing is there is once you get near the top, it's a lot very easy to get a lot more subscribers because you've got much higher visibility. Yeah. It's like the whole social bookmarking thing that when you get into the top kind of rankings, more people see you, so more people subscribe and so on, and it's a bit self-perpetuating. Mm. To get there in the first place, I think that um, something we haven't done and actually we're really guilty of is pushing it online in other channels mm. particularly hard, um, which is completely daft considering we're a digital agency, but it's cobbler's shoes kind of thing, unfortunately. The yes. amount of times Andy has harassed me about this is, uh, <laughs> and I've said, yes, yes, it'll be done, I promise. What you could do really is look at using SEO to help your podcast as well. So if somebody puts in digital marketing podcast, where do you, you know, are you coming up, whatever your topic is, mm. where are you actually coming up in, into the, the SEO? And then vice versa, using... Uh, the actual podcast itself for SEO purposes to self-perpetuate the whole thing. So what you do is you take the podcast and you get it transcribed, which adds some text to your website, mm-hmm. which then allows Google to get its teeth into it, understand what it's about, and again, pushes the whole thing up. Yeah. So I think a really good web channel is really important. Word of mouth is really important. Mm-hmm. So in your newsletters, showing what your latest podcast entries are, getting it out in, in when you're talking um, to people as you go around, mentioning it on business cards, all those different kind of things you can do is yeah. really, really important as well. Um, I think that 
uh, we had an early kind of entry advantage to a certain extent. I think we did. Um, but I, but I, I totally agree with you on the kind of the content front because mm. I, I personally think that even in today's day and age where there's much many more podcasts yeah. that if when you make your podcast if in your heart you are doing it to help people first yeah. and promote yourself second or even third yeah I think you're giving yourself a big advantage and there's a really interesting thing I always, I always talk about Steve Pavlina's website and uh, mm. stevepavlina.com writes a blog half of it is on kind of useful life improvement stuff the other 50% is quite um, far out kind of hippie stuff as far as I'm concerned now <laughs> uh, and he seems to have gone off at a tangent that way a bit lately but it's a, a great website in terms of looking at it from a business model but what Steve always used to say is that um, if you're truly trying to provide value then you'll generally get an audience if you're doing it to drive revenue or just get business then you probably won't and when we did the podcast for a long time we didn't really have a strong business objective because we wanted to see if it would work mm. um, and over a period of time, we've seen that it does drive business. But what was interesting is when I've spoken to people we've got business from, is what they've said is, I listened to it for three months, four months, before I actually gave you a phone, mm. a phone call. Mm. So you, you're building up a pipeline of business, and it does take a bit of a time to come through. Yeah, it's not instantaneous, is it? No, absolutely. And there's only a very limited amount of people that will actually contact you directly. You have a lot of people that will listen, mm. and a very small amount that will actually contact you as well. So, yes. Um, Try and provide, I think, yeah, really try and provide value. Use the other web channels to really, really promote it and get it up there. Make sure you're registered on iTunes properly. Make sure you're using FeedBurner. Mm. FeedBurner doesn't give you true stats, really, because you have to have gone through FeedBurner in the first place a lot of the time and so mm. on. So it's not, um, it's not perfect, but it's a good guideline at the end of the day. And that's all we did at the beginning, wasn't it? I mm. mean, we, we put it into iTunes. Um, we used FeedBurner. Yeah. Not that, well, I mean, FeedBurner does give you some tools to help you to promote your podcast. Yeah. But the re- main reason that we use it was for the stats. Yeah, absolutely. And the stats I've quoted earlier are from FeedBurner. Yeah. So, I mean, I think take, take the stats with a pinch of salt and look at your download numbers and all those kind of things yeah. as well. But at the end of the day, try and do something that's, that, that provides a bit of value and try and get some, um, some keep the content up to date yeah. as much as possible. The other thing we've got the advantage is that we're speaking directly to people that are potentially our customers. Yeah. Whereas what Darren might be doing is speaking to people that use his service, mm. but he's got two different kind of channels of, of people that are seeing the website as a business, if you know what I mean. So the people that are freelancers and the people that are going to those freelancers. Yes. So yeah. it's kind of two different, slightly different audiences. The other thing as well is that our audience is potentially actually very big because mm. small business owners, there's you know, hundreds of thousands of them at the end of the day. So it's quite well, indeed, there are hundreds of, th- hundreds of thousands of freelancers yeah, aren't there, there are, and I think that, that's Darren's main audience yeah um, and there's, but there's tons of stuff you can do I mean there's stuff that we haven't done simple things like in your email footers yeah. putting you know listen to our latest podcast and just put a link to either your home page where it is or perhaps the feed burner page or or you know one of those long URLs that you can get from iTunes that makes people's iTunes open and go to the to the homepage and iTunes. Yeah, and I, I think encourage people to subscribe mm. um, because it's a lot. If you've got something that subscribes, you've got a repeat listener, obviously, and yeah. you, you, know, you can um, you can build up a relationship with those people. If you're just doing special episodes, so an episode on X, an episode on Y, but there's no continuity, it's harder to build up an ongoing audience. Mm. Um, and I think the format we use of having some news, having a main story, maybe having an interview or a kind of second issue people quite like that because it's, it's fairly easy listening it's not mm. just one topic mm. and it means you don't mind listening again and again because it's always something new whereas if, if you do a particular focus that may not be relevant to your entire audience mm. then you're going to lose people at the end of the day yeah. so we tend to have done we've, anything we've done on a very focused target audience we've done as a separate thing mm. and we just make it available elsewhere 
and we kind of dish those out at shows and things like that. On the topic of shows, if you do any exhibitions and shows, we tend to put um, a few of the latest episodes on memory sticks and then give out memory sticks. Do you? Yeah, because do you find that's effective? Yeah. Are they well-received? Yeah, they are very well-received because I think people like getting the memory stick in the first place, obviously. Yeah. Um, but it's good to have some useful content on there as well. Mm. Uh, and they can listen to it you know, on their laptop when they're at the show and so on and get an idea of what's going on. And then you may get some subscribers out of that. Because another idea is you can get MP3 players now for under £10. Yeah. Yeah. and just preload them with all your episodes and give them away yeah, so it's two selected people of course yeah I mean it's, it's, it, is, it is becoming more cost effective to do that um, if we do prize draws where we give away iPods or anything like that or mm. iPhones mm. we tend to load them up with our podcast before we send them as well yeah. uh, I'm sure people delete them when they get them but a few people <laughs> will actually listen at the end of the day yeah. so I think using lots of the traditional digital marketing stuff to promote the podcast mm. in a something itself mm. which is a free service um, you're providing some value then that will drive repeat business and you have an audience that you can actually get some feedback from even if you don't get any business from people mm. one of the things we find really useful is that people tell us things that are going on in the market they educate us they help us an mm. awful lot as well I find the people that we're doing consultancy with at a very high level um, teach us things as well mm. so that whole kind of education process and engagement process works through the podcast really well for us actually one thing I forgot to mention was another thing that we did very early on was we uh, registered the podcast with as many podcast directors yeah as we could yeah and I think even if you if you google us now you'll find that a few of those directories are where mm. we're actually listed still as well which has helped yeah. us with a search engine point of view it, just get it out there basically if you if you're on a particular topic your podcast go and find the relevant discussion forums engage with those forums don't just go in there and promote yourself but try and engage and then point to your podcast and say look yeah. you may find this useful if it's the right audience don't go in and start promoting yourself because you get flamed to death but really think about how you can engage with different discussion groups mm. different social media groups um, other groups on Facebook might be interested so on and so forth get your podcast linked to from your social network profiles yeah. and, and just promote it that way and one more thought actually something I did a couple of weeks ago uh, I think I told you about this Dan I did uh, a promo not wasn't a promo I did an audio response to another podcast yeah it was actually the Podcast Sisters I think which I've mentioned a few times which is Absolutely. a great podcast and I did um, I think I did a tip on was it Google Calendar and at the end I subtly promoted this podcast yeah, I mean, uh, and they were fine with that. In fact, they, were, they, were, they played it and it was, went down really well. Well, absolutely. I mean, as you, you, as you see from Darren's question there, I mean, Darren's got a good plug for his kind of business there, so people can go and take a look at the yeah. website. And I don't think people generally mind doing that because you're asking a valid question, there'll be some content out of that, but you also get mentioned. When people email us and tell us they like the podcast, we tend to mention them as well. So there's yes. lots of ways to yeah. get promoted in other podcasts. Yeah. Um, similarly in blogs, going into blogs and those kind of things. So use social media as a tool for actually promoting mm. the podcast and spending some time doing that. So, a great question there from Darren, and his website is www.freelanceadvisor. That's an OR at the end, advisor, freelanceadvisor.co.uk. Okay, brilliant. So, Daniel, is that all? Is there any further information you wish to discuss with us, Daniel? Not at this time. Daniel Rowles, Managing Director of AI Digital, thank you very, very much indeed. Thank you very much, Andy. See you next time. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Now, we would really like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, send them to info at ai-digital.com and feel free to send in MP3 files as well and we'll play them. If you're a subscriber, we'd like to thank you for your valuable time. If you haven't subscribed yet and you'd like this show delivered to your earbuds automatically, you can find Internet Marketing on iTunes. Just search under the Business and Marketing and Management Categories 
Or you can find us at Feedburner at feeds.feedburner.com slash academyim. We'd also encourage you to leave comments on iTunes. Well, this is Andy White signing off, wishing you the best until we see you next time on Internet Marketing. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.